beautiful to look out and see uh, people uh, in person worshiping the Lord together. Um, and, uh, and particularly as I think about, as I've thought about this passage, being able to uh, see folks and this call to, to love. So we, we just finished, wrapped up a series last week on the I am statements of Jesus, learning what he said about himself. And next week, the with the beginning of Lent, we're going to do a series on Ecclesiastes, uh, which is um, maybe, I'll just say, uh, an interesting uh, book of the Bible. It's uh, it's unique. Uh, And so uh, I'm excited to uh, take a look at that book. But here we had this one week in between, and uh, and I I feel like this passage has been one of, of comfort and encouragement and challenge to me over the last number of months as it has direct effect on, I think, something that all of us are feeling and and has talked about a great deal, which is the divisions uh, that are occurring. I mean, we could name uh, the the groups in which they're occurring, right? It's it's occurring globally, nationally, locally. It's it's occurring in families over all kinds of issues, whether it be uh, race or COVID or politics. uh, And some of these divisions are entering into your own lives with friends or neighbors or family members. I was having a conversation with some uh, other pastors over the last couple of weeks, and uh, one couldn't believe that he found himself in a place where he and his family, he and his, his parents were divided and having the divisions they were over politics. It, it, and, and, you know, recognizing that politics is one of those things you don't talk about, right? He has had the kind of relationship with his parents that uh, this was a surprise to him. And then so somebody else responded something uh, along the lines of being in battle with people uh, for years in all kinds of ways over uh, other deep, real things, but then finding ourselves in this moment where uh, he, he said, it's like, we've been in battle together and you come home and they, they nicked your car and we're done, right? Um, and, and as we begin to kind of, you know, all illustrations fall apart at some point, but as we begin to tease that out, the the reality is is that's probably not a helpful illustration because some of the things that we're talking about are legitimately consequential. They're more than a nicked car, right? And and, and yet, how do we think about those differences and those divides that uh, have entered into uh, all kinds of areas of our lives uh, and, and find hope and encouragement? I think Paul gives us hope and encouragement here in Romans 12. As he calls for what we, we might just say, this is uh, my ESV Bible says these are the marks of a true Christian, but it's all about love. And verses 9 through 13 are focused on uh, the love that Christians have for one another. But then it makes this jump in verse 14 to our enemies. So it's Christians, our brothers and sisters, those that we hold the most fundamental commitments together with. Uh, and then it's our enemies. And if it includes those that we should be closest with and most aligned with and our enemies, it really includes everybody. These truths of loving one another uh, should apply to us all. And I hope that we find both challenge, and I have found that uh, in my attitude toward others and the way that I think about others as I've prepared uh, this message. But uh, we would find challenge, but also uh, great encouragement that uh, the Lord would allow us to think about deeply what it looks like for us to love folks well, to enter into this time 
of division and be beacons of the hope that comes in Jesus Christ. We're going to see, we're going to, this is going to be broken into to four different uh, points, uh, that the love that we have for one another would be honest, that it would be honoring, that it would be humble, and that it would be hopeful. There are four points, but it doesn't mean it will be uh, a longer sermon. So uh, let me pray, and we'll take a look at that. Uh, honest, honoring, humble, and hopeful. Let me pray. Lord, I I do pray that you would, in the power of your spirit, meet us here, encourage us, challenge us, move us forward in our love for one another and for those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our our love, first of all, uh, should be honest. Verse 9 here says, let your love be genuine. This idea of being genuine, of being sincere, a sincere love, of, of not having hypocrisy. I think there are a number of ways that we could think about this, but one of the things is that it's, it's not surfacy. And there, there, there is a recognition that sometimes in, in the church, it's a, we put on the happy face, we get our, our uh, life together, uh, and we're friendly uh, to other people, but that we're either talking about them behind their back or thinking poorly of them behind their back. That the, the love that we express maybe is not genuine. That, that can be a challenge. As we've talked over the last number of weeks of the challenge of legalism uh, in the church, uh, we we see that sometimes play out in legalistic churches. Again, the idea that if you do certain things, then then you'll be acceptable and God will love you or acceptable to one another. Uh, We we have it together on the outside, right? Uh, And so sometimes the the love that we express uh, might not be... uh, be genuine. And sometimes in reaction to that, what we find is that we live in this culture that values authenticity. So they, they, they would say, uh, in the past, there hasn't been authenticity, there hasn't been sincerity or genuineness. And so the answer is authenticity. But uh, unfortunately, too often that authenticity is defined as just doing whatever you feel or say or think. Right, so that there's, um, oh, you know, I value that person because they, they just say what they think, right? Like they don't dress it up; they're not hypocritical. And to be authentic is to live out of whatever you're feeling at the moment. And uh, I think that the Bible calls us to deep and genuine um, authenticity. But that authenticity, that genuineness here, is actually founded not in our feelings, but in, in something deeper and more stable, in fact. Because if we're honest, we know that our feelings are all over the place and not often rooted in truth. So we, we, we have this call to let your love be genuine, and then there seems like a jump. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. It, it, how does that relate? I think Paul is describing what that love look like, looks like. It's, it's rooted in the truth. So I think this is encouraging to us. It should be encouraging to us because it does mean that as we move toward loving others in a moment, as we think about the radical love that is called for for our enemies, those who would persecute us, those who uh, would really need justice to be poured out upon them because of the things that they have done, our enemies, as we think about the radical love that is called for there, it doesn't mean that we don't hold to what is true. And what is true is sometimes calling out what is evil, abhorring evil, clinging to what is good. Love is actually founded in our commitments to what is valuable and true. And so that means calling out brokenness and sin and flaws. 
when that's necessary. And we know that that's actually really love. I mean, you, you, you know, just that silly illustration, right? Like, it's, 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 you're caring for somebody if you let them know. I mean, it, it doesn't matter right now because we're wearing masks, but if they have a booger hanging out of their nose, you're not wearing a mask. Love is to point that out, right? That's caring for somebody, not just letting them go with that. Uh, and, and that's, again, silly, small illustration about uh, wanting good for people so that we would call out what is wrong. We would call out injustice and uh, we would call out sin when we see it. We would do so in love. And, and there is constantly a need to, to talk about and think about what that looks like, right? How, how we do that well. And that's one of the reasons that all of these commands, let's hear these commands constantly, continually to remind one another that these are, are, uh, are challenges, commands given to the people of God, not just to us as individuals. And so we, we work these things out together as a people, but we don't overlook sin. We don't overlook, again, as we get into these radical calls uh, of loving our enemies, we, we don't just let abusers go. We don't, don't let injustice go. We don't say it doesn't matter how we live our lives in reference to our money or gender or sexuality or time or relationships. All of it matters. It's all rooted in truth. And so we move forward in that truth. And uh, that is what love looks like. And again, we could spend a long time talking about different areas of our lives and working together as the people of God with the word of God to, to talk about how we apply that love uh, to those around us, both uh, in the church and outside the church, both our brothers and sisters and our enemies. And sometimes that means we have work to do to understand that truth, what is evil and what is good. So honest, genuine, let your love be genuine. Then secondly, we let our love be honoring. Look at verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection, Outdo one another in showing honor. We think about the discussions that are being had all over the place, and oftentimes discussions that are being had on the internet. And the question is are we honoring other people? Are we honoring them? We think about what does it mean to honor somebody? The first thing that comes to mind is the idea of giving high esteem to someone, giving them high value. And, and I think that's actually part of the radical picture that we're painting here. But if that's a struggle for you with particularly, particular people that you disagree with, again, even over significant issues, then, then let's just start with the idea of honoring in the sense that if you honor a contract, use that language, if you honor a contract, you just do what it says. You recognize what it says and, and you do it, right? That's what it is to honor a contract. Let's do that with one another. Let's recognize that every human being is created in the image of God and therefore deserves honor. This is the old, very old theological uh, idea of the imago Dei, the image of God, that every single human being is created in the image of God and has value. And therefore, us to honor, for us to honor others is to say, that person has value, and I'm going to recognize that value and live in light of it, even when we disagree. And, and, and maybe we need that reminder all the more when we disagree over things that actually do matter. So again, we're not dismissing. We're still grounded in what is good and evil. We're grounded in the truth, but, but we're honoring other people. 
And, and this is one of those things we look around and, uh, and, and see the loss of this. And, and I think in my own heart that I, I, I lose this too quickly and too often because we don't recognize the truth about others. We fail to remember who they are. So I, I thought about the fact that uh, sometimes I'm driving and I can be quick to judge other people. Uh, I, I think I'm a really good driver. So I start there, a little, little pride happening. And so then when other people don't drive as I think they should, then uh, I want them to know it sometimes. So I, I don't yell at people, uh, but sometimes I do in my mind. And sometimes I do honk. And I'd like to think, justify it. I, I want them to know so that they don't hurt somebody, whether it's me right now or somebody in the future. I want them, but oftentimes it's just I want to be right and I want them to know that they're wrong. And, uh, and there are times around our neighborhood where I have, have honked at somebody or done this, you know, just, you know, raise my arms like what in the world. And then I'm like, oh, wait, was that my neighbor? Was that... Was that my friend? Was that, was that my friend's child who's learning to drive? I, I've thought about that a lot as I'm teaching my kids, right? Um, and, and I'm like, oh, I got to remember who they are. I got to remember, I, I might be around people that I know. But, but that applies actually to everybody. I got to remember they're created in the image of God. They are people who bear the image of our Lord. That's everybody. And, and I forget that too quickly. And, and let's be honest, it's really easy to forget it on social media. It's really easy to forget it when you're reading about somebody from a distance. And so I think there is a, a, a challenge to us thinking in those, those larger terms, but there's also an encouragement for us to begin applying all of these principles locally, where we're in relationship with people Locally, and, and the encouragement that if there are things happening on social media, to honor somebody is not to respond over social media. So if you think about calling out somebody, calling out evil, or to do that locally and personally. So if, if they're not local, my, my suggestion is call them. The, the answer is not to respond over social media to things that you see. It just, that's, it's just not helpful. It, it, it doesn't, uh, we don't engage well there. We're, we're, it's too easy to fail to recognize the value that somebody has and therefore to honor them. Be in relationship. I've, I've given encouragement for years. I've seen the destruction that even just email does in communicating serious things. If you're having a serious conversation with someone, call them, meet them in person. It's so much easier to honor them in those contexts. But imagine what it would look like for us to really battle to outdo one another in showing honor, to actually be almost in a competition to honor others. The, the reality is, is it brings us to our third point, is it, it drives us to humility. We can't help but be humble if we're going to honor other folks because there are times when other folks will do you wrong. They will be your enemies. They will persecute you. And so then there's a call to be humble. Look at all the things that are called for here and think about the, the, the humility that is required to step into these things. I mean, just to outdo one another in showing honor. The idea of contributing to the needs of the saints, verse 12, is predicated on recognizing that I earned this money, this money is mine, I deserve it. And, and to think about giving that up is, is an act of humility, to serve others. Bless those who persecute you. 
it's, it's giving up your position of rightness that takes humility. Very clearly call for humility and do not be haughty, verse 16, but associate with the lowly. Don't be haughty. Don't be prideful. Be humble. Verse 16, never be wise in your own eyes. Be humble. The humility that would come and be necessary to not avenge yourselves. Verse 19, so real, the picture here, and Paul has experienced real wrong, real injustice. And he says, leave it to the Lord, trust him. It doesn't mean, again, that we're not founded in the truth and that we're not fighting for what is right and fighting for justice and particularly for others, and, uh, but that we uh, would ultimately trust the Lord, that vengeance is his. All of this is a call to humility, to, to think about others better than ourselves. And study after study actually shows that this is just not the way that we operate. That you give any one particular category and and. We, we think, we, we label ourselves as above average. The idea of just being average is a little bit anathema in our culture. Oh, no, I'm not, me average? My kids average? No, we're at least above average, right? Uh, this is actually called uh, in uh, psychology, um, it's this idea of illus- illusory superiority. It's an illusion or superiority bias. The above average effect. If you're old enough, it's the Lake Wobegon effect. The children are above average. Um, this uh, idea is that the idea, study after study, shows that we, we think that we're all above average. And, and in fact, a study at James Madison University shows that if you have a higher IQ, that uh, your, your bias toward every area that you experience is, is even higher. Uh, so a challenge uh, that if you think you're smarter, or even if you have things that show you're smarter, that you're going to think you're even smarter and better than you are in every category. This is just the way that we operate. It's the way that we operate where we are, right? So that now, most of these studies have actually occurred in the U.S., and some of the studies that have begun to happen in uh, Eastern culture uh, would say this is a particular American problem, that we're above average, We have this idea that we're the best. It's a challenge for us to be humble. This is the gospel, though. So chapter 12 here is the the first chapter that's really full of of these calls, these imperatives. Here are things that you should do as a follower of Jesus. Chapters 1 through 11 of Romans are all about here's who you are, here's what you have done, here's who God is, here's what he has done. You've heard me quote Tim Keller who paraphrases Jack Miller when he says, the gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe. The humility that comes to recognize that that's true. The last point then points to, but we're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. But we have to start with the humility of recognizing that to, to pursue vengeance, to pursue even justice sometimes is to recognize that we deserve justice because we're sinful and flawed and that if we want real justice, it's, it's the wrath of God poured out upon us. And so real humility would recognize that fact and say that because of who I am, that I deserve the wrath of God, that justice does not go well for me. 
And, and the gospel brings us hope that that justice, that wrath was poured out upon Jesus so that we can move forward in love in a hopeful way. And that's the last point, is that it's not just, okay, be humble. It's not just, hey, honor people. Be honest in your love. It's, we do so out of a hope that is rooted in the first 11 chapters of Romans in the hope that comes in Jesus Christ. It, it, I don't know if it, I, I thought as I first read through um, this passage, verses 11 and 12, a little bit feel out of place. So there's this call to love, love one another, how you respond to one another. But 11 says, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in the spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So not a focus directly on love. It's this spirit of worshiping and being founded in the hope of Jesus Christ. And, and I think the point that Paul is making here is that the love that we have for one another is rooted in that, in that rejoicing in hope. The hope that is offered in the fact that even though we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe, we are more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. So that gives us hope, both to walk in the mess of the world, but also hope to love one another, that our ability to love one another is rooted in what God has done for us, in the fact that his wrath has been poured out upon Jesus, that we remember. <coughs> Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the freedom from sin that we have, the hope that we have in him. And so we rejoice in that hope, verse 12. We're able to humble ourselves before our brothers and sisters, you look around this, spa this space and you're able to, to see others as those created in the image of God and humble yourself before them to, to recognize their value. It, it, it allows us to, as we think about injustice and brokenness and the desire to see that happen in the, the, the places where people want vengeance, Rightly so, because we cry out for justice, that we would humble ourselves and be able to see where, where we and our, uh, our positions might be a part of that, right? If we think about race, we'd be able to humble ourselves and say, you know, we, we need to learn. We sent out the document in our email of black Christian leaders because there's a recognition that uh, as a, a white church, we have things that we can learn if we humble ourselves before our brothers and sisters who are different than us. We can learn from them. And that takes humility to, to love well in the midst of that. But uh, it also allows us to be humble with those with whom we disagree and love them well because of the gospel's work in our own lives. This should actually empower us. The church should be a place where in the midst of all of this division that we can openly and honestly talk about places where we disagree, but we can do so with humility and respect and honor for one another in powerful ways. And the hope is that as we do that with one another and as we do that with those around us and as it begins to work out locally, that uh, the prayer is that that would happen on larger and larger scale by the power of the Spirit because our hope is in Him and not in us because we're not going to be able to do it. So let's look to him in the hope of the gospel that we might be rooted in his good truth and work in our lives, that we might love one another and those around us. Let me pray.